Would you open your Bibles this morning to uh, the Gospel of John? We're going to be studying verses 15 through 31 this morning. Also, just a word just for that breakfast next week. Um, so we're certainly honoring uh, Father's, Father's Day, those kind of things. But it's a, it's a men's fellowship. So you don't have to be a dad to come, okay? Um, our young men, you know, it could be just starting with our junior high guys on, on up. That we would love to have you guys there. Um, uh, so please, please come. Please register so we can make sure we have enough breakfast for everybody. Well, this morning we're going to continue. You know what? We really could have made a mini-series within the series of the Gospel of John. And the mini-series could be, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. I mean, just the, the, there's just a little mini-series within the Gospel of John. Because three times in the last week of his life, Jesus encouraged his disciples, and he encourages us today to not let our hearts be ruled by our troubles. That's the problem with troubled heart. It's, it's not that there are troubles, it's your heart's ruled by them. You're ruled by those troubles. And this morning, he's going to explain to us that one of the major reasons why we need not be troubled is because of the person and presence and work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure that we are really readily calling the person of the Spirit to mind when our hearts are troubled. And I hope that as we study, you're going to see as, as, it, as the, the time frame moves toward Jesus' crucifixion, there is more talk about the work and person and presence of the Holy Spirit as we move toward the cross. So we're going to be studying that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but even more the life of the Holy Spirit over these next few weeks. And, and you're going to see why our hearts need not be troubled or ruled by the troubles because of the helper that we're going to read about this morning. So let's turn to God's holy and inerrant and inspired and sufficient word. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, can you just put a pause button there? Can you imagine poor that, just poor, this poor Judas, can you imagine? For the rest of his life, he's probably gone, uh, not Iscariot, not Iscariot. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you guys. When I'm studying and reading the Bible, I'm just weird. I just, these things jump out at me. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will, make, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you that while I'm with you, while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father's greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will, know, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of truth that you've given us. And thank you for the spirit of truth that you've given us. And we ask that we, ask that we would not only better understand the word of truth, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, could you also help us as a church family better experience the word of truth? Please, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Was there ever a time or maybe some times in your life where you felt fearfully alone? Fearfully alone. I'm not talking about feeling lonely. Lonely is a problem. Totally get that. I'm talking about feeling alone in the sense that it tempted you to respond in fear or in worry. Alone in the sense of maybe the feeling of being abandoned, that kind of alone. Alone in the sense that it seemed to blind your eyes to ever conceiving that you could have a happy future, that kind of alone. Not a future hope, no future happiness. So that could have happened in several ways. Maybe you felt alone spiritually as though God seemed absent during a time you needed him the most, seemed absent. Here, listen to my words. There at a time you needed him the most. And you know what? We get any kind of gathering that may be someone, how you're feeling right today. I'm struggling because I need God desperately and I am not sensing his presence or his help. Maybe you felt alone relationally in that maybe you were abandoned by someone that you never thought would abandon you, never thought would leave you. Maybe it's because of a broken marriage Maybe it's the betrayal of a good friend or the death of someone that you dearly loved. And I, I thought of that, you know, like the early death maybe of someone that you dearly loved. Death before it's time. But, you know, then I start to think, I grieve death. My dad died at 93. And I desperately miss him to this day. My mom so it could have been that kind of lonely or aloneness. It might have been the feeling of being alone vocationally. I think we can feel that. Or functionally, vocationally or functionally. In that your education or your skill sets, here, here, here comes AI, right? AI, AI, AI. You're, you're hearing more and more about just being made obsolete as a human being. The people made in God's image will never be obsolete, okay? Just encourage you. But it can feel that way, that you're not needed anymore. There's no longer a place for you. That can feel as a certain kind of devastating aloneness. Maybe you felt a sense of being alone ministerially or maybe missionally in that it doesn't seem to be the fruitfulness that you've experienced in the past ministry Maybe the fellowship. You, look, you feel like, man, I, I feel like I had more fellowship in the earlier years of my Christian life than I'm having right now. The time that I felt most alone was in eighth grade. It's easy for me to identify that. I was coming home from a friend's house. 
only to find a police car sitting outside our house with its lights flashing. I ran into the house and I found my mom sitting on a chair in the living room with one police officer standing beside her. Didn't see my dad. I heard some voices down the hall. We just had this little three-bedroom, one-bath house and heard the, some voices down toward the bathroom. So I, I ran down the hallway to see another police officer standing in the doorway of the bathroom as he watched my dad picking up his toiletries and packing a bag. I was... I can't, I can't tell you how upset I was by what I was seeing. I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Here's what I did. I didn't know what to do. I was delirious. I ran into the backyard, and I started doing yard work. I'm eighth grade. I didn't mind mowing the grass, but you know what I started doing? So for those who have some age, some years, you're, you're, you're older, you're like me. You're, anyway. <laughs> We didn't have weed whackers, right? We didn't. Have, we had these obnoxious, horrible clippers that you did the, like scissors. They were just giant scissors, right? And you and you, and you had to be down on your hands and knees. And they were such a pain when you were ch clipping around chain link fences, right? Because you're getting the fence as much as you're getting the grass. And I was so upset. I went and started clipping the yard. What in the world was that? While I was doing that, I was trying to figure out who was the bad guy in this? What was happening in my world? Was my dad the bad guy for getting kicked out of our house? Was my mom the bad guy or the bad girl for kicking him out? Two things seem certain. This home would never feel like home again because of who would no longer be living there. And I felt orphaned in a way I never, ever thought I would feel. Did you notice in the text today that God's word uses the word orphaned as a synonym for being alone? A synonym for being feeling abandoned, hopeless, fearfully alone. Without hope and without help in this world. I think it's worth pointing out at the time of John writing this gospel, there were no social programs available for children. Unless you had a family member or friend come alongside you to care for you and provide for your needs, you would live on the streets. And that's, I, I never had had an experience of feeling like I'm going to be a, a, a child of the streets with that day when I was in eighth grade. But the word would not only be used if both parents died or if both parents were to abandon their child. You were thought to be orphaned if you were raised by only one parent because God prized the, the value of marriage. There was just this prizing of it. It was the foundation of society. You know, a healthy marriages were, is what produces healthy societies. And so there was a sense of being orphaned even if you were being raised by one parent. And how about this? Did you know that if you were a disciple of a rabbi and that rabbi either died or abandoned ship, you were considered orphaned in that regard, too. There's a lot to this word, isn't there? And do you know that Jesus experienced what it was like to be orphaned? It was on the cross, wasn't it? He first is praying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But there came to that point on the cross where he is fully identified with our sin. Paul calls it, he became sin for us. And now he no longer calls God Father. He calls him God. He, it's, it's more like the judge. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even Jesus himself in his dying for our sins is experiencing what it is to be orphaned by his Father as he suffered for our sins on the cross. And did you notice that Jesus promised not, to not only forever conquer that alone orphan feeling through his death and resurrection, but he also promised to conquer it by sending the Holy Spirit. 
by sending the Holy Spirit. We're going to study the doctrine of the Spirit in, in many ways today and in many ways in the next few weeks. But we're not just going to study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We're going to study the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's important to remember that he is a divine person. So I'm using that again and again throughout the sermon. You're going to see it in your sermon notes. Um, so here's the main point this morning. I think this is the main point of the text. You, you look at it too and you, you decide maybe there could have been a better way to say the main point. God gives us his peace and power through the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this first point. It's, it's, the, it's the longest point of the, of the lesson today because there's just so much packed into this. And so the first point is that the Holy Spirit is a divine person who provides us with the presence of God. So now we're in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. It's the night before his crucifixion. Let's remember where this is. Let's ask, even just kind of try to experience this along with the text. The next hours were going to be the most painful drama in history. There was going to be a sham trial. There was going to be three painful denials by the disciple who most proclaimed his faithfulness and his love. There was going to be a treasonous betrayal of Christ by Judas. There was going to be the lonely and bloody prayers made by Jesus in a garden when no one else would stay awake with him. He was lonely and it was bloody. Remember, he's sweating blood. There was going to be a whipping and a beating that would have killed most men. And, most, and ultimately, there would be a bloodletting, paralyzing, suffocating, and wrath-bearing death on the cross. The disciples were about to experience what felt like hopeless separation from Jesus. And a separation from their hopes of seeing Jesus throw Caesar off his throne and, and giving them the happy and hopeful future that they, they had kind of dreamed for themselves. And not to mention the reality that they're about to lose their dearest friend. Dearest friend. And with all that in front of them, here in the upper room, Jesus promises them and promises us. First of all, did you stop it? If, if, if somehow some, some doctor today told you you're dying tomorrow, you might think a little bit about others, but I think you'd be thinking a lot about yourself. I would. I'd be thinking about, you know, I'd try to be thinking about, am I providing for Jan? Am I providing for my, my sons and daughters-in-law, my grandkids? You? Talking to Hugh and Alan and trying to prepare you for you guys to move forward in the gospel and but oh my goodness there'd be a lot about me there'd be a lot about me why why all worry and everything isn't it amazing that Jesus is facing his death and almost the entirety of his thoughts are about us the entirety of his thoughts are about us and he promises to send us the Holy Spirit and again remember where we are so this is before the cross. So it's a promise to them. For us, it's a fulfillment. Don't forget that. So as we're reading this, let's remember, the Spirit has been poured out. And we get the benefit of that. So Jesus promised his disciples they would not be left alone after his death. He promised they would continue to experience his presence through the coming of the Spirit. So verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Let's talk about that. The word another. By another, here's what Jesus was not saying. Jesus was not trying to communicate that he was going to send merely a replacement. Okay? That would not be very comforting, especially if you kind of look at our world. Like when you've used a car mechanic for years and he knows your car well and has always fixed it quickly for a fair price, but his business has really grown. And now he says, hey, listen, I, I, I'm going to no longer be the one working on your car, but I'm going to send you another mechanic. Not the most comforting thing in the world. I mean, it's tough finding a good mechanic, right? I mean, mechanics and doctors. I mean, come on. 
I don't want another mechanic. I want you. So this isn't very comforting. Well, Jesus isn't really saying it in this way, is he? How about a doctor who's treated you for several years, maybe done some significant, maybe even life-saving growing? He says he's not going to be the one who's going to personally treat you anymore, but he's going to be sending you another doctor. Just happens to be in his first year of residency. But it's, you know... Um, Praise God for first-year resident doctors. You know, there wouldn't be second and third and fourth. I don't, where's, where's Karina? Karina, are you here? Is it three-year residency or two-year residency? So what you're saying is, if it was me going through the training, it's going to be seven. It's going to be, for you, it'll be a year and a half, I think. That's probably what it's going to be for you. You're so bright. Oh, my goodness. So, isn't it great? Jesus is not speaking in this kind of language. By another, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you someone who's exactly like me. He's going to be like me in essence, in character, in attributes, in power, in wisdom, in love. And this is what's going to be so cool about it. He's going to be just like me in essence, but his role will be exactly what you need when you need it. His role will be as your helper, as the spirit, because he's going to go to the Father uh, and in his ascension. And he's going to be with you now and forever. Those are precious promises, aren't they? Forever, forever, forever. Oh, I, I, I spent a lot of time meditating on that word this week. I don't spend enough time meditating on God's word. I'm trying to do a better job of that. I was just trying to think. Like, I don't want to just, re I just read things so quickly and I don't get a lot out of them when I read real quickly. And I was just trying to think the spirit given to me forever, 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 forever. Let's, why, let's keep studying and find out why that is so wonderful. He's saying that Jesus is saying, I'm going to be sending you the Holy Spirit who is God, and is personal, because he's referred to as a divine person. And this is important, you guys, for us to understand. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are the divine persons of the Godhead. And if you're not getting that, if you're not understanding that, it's amazing how much less personal your relationship as a Christian really is in general. The divine person of the Spirit makes a difference in our personal experience of the Spirit. And you're going to see that in the way he's described here. He, he is God the Spirit, but he's also the person of the Spirit who becomes very personal. Well, listen, don't take it from me. Take it just from the descriptions used in this text. Jesus calls him the helper. Pretty personal word. He calls him the comforter, the counselor, advocate, teacher. Because he's a divine person, we can experience him in a very personal and experiential way. I think so much of the problem in terms of the, the, the abuses of the charismatic type movement or missing misuse of scripture and those kind of things. I think so much of those things happen because we've not been really well taught on just the essential foundations of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And, and part of those essential foundations is that he is the person of the Spirit. There is to be an experience of God, not just believing a set of doctrines. It's living truth. The word of truth and the spirit of truth. He's assigned to us. He comes to us to make God known in a living way. Here's a statement from our Sovereign Grace Church's statement of faith. And, you know, I'm so blessed. This is, I don't think that <clears throat> a lot of pastors get this blessing. We, we have new members classes. So many times people will say, I've been drawn here because I read your statement of faith. Wow, really? <laughs> wow. You weren't drawn. Well, I know you weren't drawn here because we have smoke going on during the worship and all that kind of stuff. And we have climbing walls everywhere for kids to go crazy on and, and everything like that. Wow, you were, you were drawn here because of our, our statement of faith. Praise God. Well, here's a statement. 
from the Sovereign Grace Church's statement of faith about the Holy Spirit. Could you read this along with me? I'm gonna, let's read it out loud together. It's in your notes. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. He is equal in deity, attributes, and nature with the Father and the Son, and with them is to be worshipped and glorified. The Spirit manifests God's active presence in the world, giving life in God's creation and new creation, existing forever with the Father and the Son, the Spirit is the agent of all blessing to God's creatures and makes possible communion with Him. Isn't that beautiful? Just love that. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus just keeps giving us more reasons why we can have such faith and hope because of the person and work and presence of the Holy Spirit. So He calls Him Helper. The word paraclete, many of you have heard that word before. It means to be called alongside someone, to help them and to render aid. One of the most encouraging graces God can give a troubled heart that feels alone or feels orphaned is for someone to come alongside you or to bring you help, right? Isn't that just an encouragement to break the, that silence of aloneness and someone has come alongside you to help you? I want to just give you an example of, of the leaders here that you have in this church and the blessing they are to me. Uh, I, I received a unique Holy Spirit-like encouragement uh, over these last few months from Alan and Eric and Steve. I don't even know that they knew that each other were saying the things they were saying to me, but they were all saying the same things. As most of you know, if you're visiting today, I'm old, <laughs> right? So I'm 63, so I have initiated the, just the baby steps toward really kind of what, I, what we hope is a long-term succession plan. But I think we should be plan a, there should be a succession plan any, anyway, right? Because guys, if we're not planning for a better future for those we're leaving behind, we're not loving well. And I just think a lot of pastors retire or die or whatever, and the church wasn't prepared for a better future. The church wasn't prepared to the gospel baton just keeps being passed from generation to generation, trained and equipped and called men. To, to shepherd the church, the flock of God. So even if, if, if it's not a long-term plan, if, if the Lord takes me home for some reason soon, we have a plan. There's at least the baby steps of a plan. Um, so, so it's a succession plan for my role as senior pastor. And I, I hope, just so you'll know, I hope I have a few more good years. I hope you do. <laughs> Let me know if you don't, because that might affect how, how long this succession plan is, if you would rather, rather uh, see that happen sooner than later. Um, but uh, if, if the Lord does give us a few more years before the baton is formally passed to who will be our next lead pastor, in the meantime, I want to do everything I can to prepare our leadership, to prepare a next generation of leadership, to prepare you as our church family for a wonderfully godly and God-glorifying future. That's, that's just what I just feel like that's what any leader, I think that's what husbands are supposed to do. I think that's what dads are supposed to be doing, you know? Well, in the midst of that, these three dear brothers have told me on separate occasions that they want to come alongside me. Because I got to tell you, I love, the, I love the thought of planning for a succession plan, but I got to tell you, I've had some freakout moments. I've been, a, I've been a senior pastor for 30 years. And I've had a few panic attacks because I haven't realized how much my identity has become being a senior pastor and not just being a born-again Christian, not just being a blood-bought son of God by grace alone, you know? It's just so easy for your identity to be caught up in what you do. And if you stop doing it, oh, no, am I nobody? You know, there's no reason for my... So pray for me, because it's not all just, oh, yes. <laughs> I can struggle. So these three guys have come alongside me, very paraclete-like, very Holy Spirit-like. 
And this is what they've told me. They want to come alongside me. They feel called to come alongside me to help me serve as fruitfully as possible for as long as possible. Thank you, guys. You don't know what that means to me. I don't even know that they know that they, they've, each of them has said those kind of things to me. Because it's always been very individual and encouraging. Do you know how wonderful it is for somebody to come alongside you like that? I mean, thank God that's the way the Holy Spirit is with us. But shouldn't we be like that for each other? Shouldn't there be some kind of a unique fellowship amongst the people of God where you feel regularly someone empowered and, and inspired by the Holy Spirit comes alongside you, says, I believe in you. We're going to get through this together. I'm going to walk with you through this. It just encourages you like crazy. They actually want me around as I get older? Are they crazy? That was not my experience when I worked for a major oil company in New Orleans. I was in human resource management. That was my field of study at New Mexico State. And um, often my job was to prepare severance packages to entice older, big-salaried staff to get off the payroll. How about you leave sooner? That was my experience of aging, of, of, of vocation. And I was, I, was, I was preparing those packages. The person of the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to want to encourage us to greater godliness, greater fruitfulness until we see Jesus face to face. The person of the Holy Spirit is known. So let's start to break down all these different names of his. He, he's known as an intercessor or an advocate. He's one who speaks on your behalf in prayer. Did you know that scripture says that when we don't know how to pray as we should, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Isn't that great? Actually helping and illuminating how we can pray in accordance with God's word. So the Holy Spirit is, is working in our lives lives as an intercessor. He's an advocate for us. He represents you as a blood-bought child of God. He's bringing that truth back to your memory, who, who has been pronounced not guilty at the throne of God's grace, so that you can silence that voice in your head that just keeps telling you what a jerk you are, and what an idiot you are, and how terrible you are, and just condemnation and condemnation. And the Holy Spirit comes as an advocate for you to convince you that you are innocent because Christ has reckoned you as righteous and why you will not be condemned. The person of the Holy Spirit comes as a comforter, but you know, that word comfort can get Especially, I think the guys in the room might kind of feel, yeah, is there a little bit more of a masculine definition of comfort? It can feel like kind of mushy, gushy, precious moment, figurine, comfort, you know. I, listen, I don't think that the comfort here is just the feelings of comfort. I mean, be honest with me. If we're really, I, I mean, I love feelings of comfort, but I need something way more than feelings of comfort, and you do too. You do too. And the way this is being described here is not just the feelings of comfort. It'd be like an army <laughs> that needs to be comforted. And so the president writes them a little note. You're doing great, right? Not exactly what we were, the kind of comfort we were hoping for. And it's not exactly what the kind of comfort the Lord wants to give us through the Holy Spirit. You know when an army is comforted is when, they, when you send reinforcements that's when an army's comforted. And that's how a believer's comforted too. And that's what the father and son are doing. Here's the disciples. They're going, oh my goodness, we need, re we, we're, we're about to be on the battle line. We're about to be in the front of the war. And you're leaving? And Jesus is saying, let me give you comfort. I'm sending reinforcements. And his name's the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be a strength that you never thought that you could have so that you could wage successful spiritual warfare against the enemy, that you would never feel the hopelessness of being alone and unarmed for the battle you have to fight. 
The person of the Holy Spirit is known as a teacher and a counselor. Verse 17 calls him the spirit of truth. In chapter 17, Jesus says that that we would be sanctified by the word of truth. Great combination, don't you think? The word of truth and the spirit of truth. That's why whenever we speak of any kind of spiritual gifts and prophetic ministry or word of wisdom or word of knowledge, the word of truth and the spirit of truth are always great friends, aren't they? So, so if anybody's giving you some kind of baloney that is totally inconsistent with Scripture, that's not the whole, that is a spirit. <laughs> it's not the Holy Spirit. That was silly. That was obnoxious. I'm sorry, I shouldn't even have said that. To be filled with the Holy Spirit at its minimum is to be filled with the Word of God. Not just a feeling like, you know, 16 ounces full controlled by the word of God. How do you recognize a spirit-filled Christian? Because they're ruled by the love of Christ. They're ruled by gentleness. They're ruled by peacemaking. They're ruled by just the fruit of the spirit. That's the word doing the work of God in the heart of a believer. Verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, up until now, he's been the one speaking the words of God to them. But soon he would send the helper who would teach them all things and bring to their remembrance all that Christ has said. How many of you have seen The Chosen? Anybody Chosen watchers here? I just have started watching. It took me a long time. And I got a lot of encouragement from people. And I, I just was wanting to be so careful. I, don't, I just don't want Hollywood to be giving me my impression of Jesus, right? I, I just... And, 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 but I have watched it and I've had, I've cried, I've cried. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Imagine me crying, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 I see a commercial, I cry. I mean, it's just, oh. Um, and just one of the things though that just kind of strikes me a little bit, it's interesting the way they portray Matthew, in Matthew. Interesting character portrayal for Matthew. But Matthew's always writing. You notice he's always he's writing down. He even helped Jesus. This was kind of interesting. He was even helping Jesus with the Beatitudes, with the Sermon on the Mount. That's what you... <laughs> Listen, do you know, guys, the living Word of God and the living Spirit of God can melt your heart far more than the chosen TV show. Okay, so I'm not trying to be mean to the chosen. I'm going to keep watching. I'm, I, there's many ways I'm reminded of how personal God is. But the only reason I even have a category for that is because it's here. It's not the chosen is teaching it to me, right? But you know, it, so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to teach. I've been teaching you, but the Holy Spirit is now going to be the teacher. And he's going to remind you of all things. And that's where I'm kind of going, it's possible. I guess Matthew could have been writing stuff down. John could have been writing some stuff down. But the Spirit, here's what, what Jesus is saying. Listen, these guys are freaking out. Nobody's writing anything in the upper room, I don't think. I think they're just freaking out. Are you going to deny him? Am I going to deny him? What does he mean by leaving? Why are we feeling such a darkness when we have felt such light in his presence? I, I don't know if anybody's writing anything right now. And don't worry, because the Holy Spirit is going to be your counselor, and he's going to be reminding you of everything that I've said to you. I'm so glad of that, because he's doing that today. He would do this by inspiring, the, the, inspiring the writing of the New Testament. That was the work of the Spirit. He would do this as a teacher by helping believers understand the Word of God. Listen, my, I, listen I just, you know, I start, I'm so thankful that you come and you listen to these sermons and everything. But I just I always go home wishing, oh, I would have loved to have said that better. I wish I could have served you better. Listen, if you understand anything in my sermons, it's a direct evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit being with you, <laughs> right? That, you know, well, good thing we have the Spirit, Billy, because, wow, I mean, not a chance we'd understand what you're talking about. But he's the Spirit. He's the teacher. He's helping us understand the Word of God. He inspired the Word of God to be written, and he is the person who's helping us understand the Word of God. It's not because we've come to church enough that we understand the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit 
is the one that's helping us understand the word of God. It's such good news to think about that and remember that. He's way closer to you than you thought, right? He's always working on your behalf. He would do this by helping remind us of God's word when we're fighting Satan's lies. Remember the sword of the spirit, right? Sword of the spirit. What's the association there? Word and spirit, word and spirit. But it was the sword sword. There was what did I say? It's like I'm going to talk about shwerma or something. It was a, it was the little sword. It was the little sword. It wasn't the Darth Vader sword. It was it was hand to hand combat sword. When you're in the when you're when you fear and worry are just inundating you, and Satan's lies are tempting you to believe, and the enemy's already in front of you, you don't have time to get the Darth Vader sword out. You have to have a word of scripture. You need something to be able to shut that lying voice up. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So he gives, he reminds us of scripture. Even a sentence of scripture can, can defeat the enemy. Amen. Oh, so thankful for the Holy Spirit. He gives us a reminder to how to share the gospel with the lost. Step out in faith, you guys. The Holy Spirit wants to give you the words to speak. Let's share the gospel. He'll give us the power and the the words to share as we share the word of God. He's the one that gives the hope within us. When when maybe, maybe, uh, oh gosh, there's so many illustrations that are coming to mind. If we ever are being about to be persecuted for our faith, did you ever think, I don't know if a gun is pointed to my head. I, I hope I wouldn't deny Christ. But I don't know. You know what you do know? The Holy Spirit is forever with you. And he will teach you all things. And he will remind you what you need and what to say when you need to say it. He is holding you more than you're holding him. You will not deny the Lord on that day. In fact, you'll probably proclaim the Lord more powerfully than you ever thought because of the person and work and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a mental exercise. We sing that song, He Will Hold Us Fast. He's he's, he's the spirit of truth. He's not just reminding us as though I'm I'm taking my SATs or or working on some final exam. And he's he's reminding me of facts so I can get a better grade. That's that's not it. He's holding me fast to the truth. he's, He's causing the truth to be an experience of life and of joy and of peace for me. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the counselor that helps us apply God's word to our marriages and our parenting and our vocations and our ministries. He's the helper who comes alongside of us. But even better, did you notice? It's even better. I mean, I can come alongside Ben, but I can't crawl inside, buddy. I just, you know, I love you to pieces, but I can only go so far. Isn't it great that Jesus goes farther when he sends his spirit to not just be with you, but to indwell you. Oh my goodness, that's going to be important. Let's keep reading. Verse 17b, Jesus says, now you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And and the disciples are going, how do we know him? How do you know? Well, you know him because he's been present with Christ in his ministry for, for all time, but we could say even at his baptism, what happened? The spirit came upon Jesus and the scripture says, and never left him. Jesus is saying, if you've experienced my ministry, you're experiencing the ministry of the, the spirit. That's what he's encouraging the disciples. This is not something that, that brand new I'm introducing to you. But unlike the physical presence of Jesus with them, the Holy Spirit would actually come in them. He would come join himself to them, be un- in union with them, be united to them. Verse 20 says, in that day you will know that I'm in my Father and you in me and I in you. And notice there's a lot of Trinity going on here, <laughs> right? In that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me and I am in you. The Holy Spirit would perfectly represent the presence of the triune God in us. 
in an inseparable union with us. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So now we've got both the son of God and the spirit of God because of the person of the Holy Spirit giving us a personal experience of God the Father and God the Son. It's not just Jesus that gives us God as our Father. The Holy Spirit gives us God as our Father in an experiential way. And I want you to see this. I mentioned this last week, but this just keeps growing in my heart. You know, we are living in such a fatherless time. Just, it's just fatherlessness is a plague. Not just of fathers who are not in the home, fathers who are in the home and just, but are totally disengaged from their kids. Um, and, and so I'm guessing that the ripple effect is that in, in churches, there are people who've experienced, and they know what it is to experience fatherlessness, that father hunger, I guess it's been called, kind of this father hunger thing, and, and still have trouble recognizing that God is a father. Well, I hope this relieves that ache. Romans 8, 14 through 16, it's in your notes. Look at that with me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's all kinds of... Christians can argue about this silliest things. Well, I call, I call Father, I call the Father Abba. You should call him Abba. This is, the best way I've heard this described. So right now, you know, our youngest grandchild is Liam. And so I was on the FaceTime with him two days ago. And you know, part of what I'm doing, Liam, Papa, Papa. Right. So I think he's starting to get an idea that I'm supposed to be in his life. But at this point, it's not Papa, it's I think that's Papa. I think he's trying to say Papa. What I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is this word Abba is it's it's not just a language, it's not just a vocabulary word, it's not just a Hebrew vocabulary word. It's a recognition of the heart. This is my father. It's a father word. It's a, it's, it's a relationship word. It's an intimacy word. And guess who gives that to us? The Holy Spirit. It's not just a doctrine. We are studying doctrine. Praise God for sound doctrine. But we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's real. This is real. He is my father. I may have not had a good father. I may have had a disengaged father. I may have had an abusive father. But this is a new day in my life. This is a day that the Lord has made, and he will be forever my father. As much as my earthly father influenced me and shaped me and all of these kind of things, my, my sin was my biggest problem. But, but the way that other people can shape the way we sin, isn't it so good to know you're a new creature? You're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now as much as the bad dad influenced you in the past, guess what? Get ready. Now my heavenly father will influence me for the rest of eternity. Oh, you guys. So the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Jesus died, listen, on the cross, not only so that we could hear the proclamation of not guilty. That, I mean, we need that, right? Not guilty. And I think we've spent a lot of time with that. I think we, we, that's the doctrine of justification, and we try to teach that again and again and again. It's hugely important doctrine. But he didn't just die for us to hear not guilty. He died for us to hear adopted. <laughs> adopted! We've all, we all were orphaned at the fall. If you don't realize that, then you're not, then we need to do some more homework and study of scripture. 
Adam and Eve and their sin, they, they essentially orphaned the human race. We were born in this world in sin, dead in sin and transgression, without God and without hope in the world. Jesus comes in to not just give us legal justification. He comes in to give us a loving adoption. And the person of the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it experiential. It's the one who makes it experiential. It's not just something I read in my Bible. It's a truth that's living in me because it's a reality. I'm his child. He's my father. Jed Packer put it this way. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, and better than the old. Everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And you know who helps us grasp adoption? The Holy Spirit. Thank you. I'm the, right on cue, whoever that was. That was awesome. That was awesome. D.A. Carson puts it this way. This must not be construed as a merely creedal condition. Listen, the Spirit is to be experienced. Otherwise, the promise of relief from the sense of abandonment, being orphaned, being alone, it's empty. It's empty. This is why we will never be orphaned. God the Father planned our adoption. God the Son accomplished our adoption. And God the Spirit applies our adoption. That's, if you want to kind of put it in a Trinitarian sort of a language. And he would not just be our heavenly companion. He would make his home in us. It wasn't like the Old Testament where the Spirit would come upon a few specific people to accomplish a few specific purposes in God's, in God's heart and mind. This is where the Spirit would indwell every believer. Every believer. And as one who makes his home in us, he would be the one who helps us to grow in the beauty of holiness and the beauty of Christ-like character. And as he grows our sanctification in Christ, please, please hear this. Again, these are, these are flaws in my teaching, so I'm, 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 I'm quick to point this out. We've talked a lot about Jesus, you becoming more like Christ's character, more sanctified, sanctification, sanctification, progressive work of God until you see him face to face to make you more like Jesus. Not making you any more saved, it's just making you more like Jesus. And the thing that I haven't mentioned enough is that part of that growth in sanctification would also be a growth in affection. Because if you're going to become more like Jesus, who is more in love with the Father than Jesus? So part of your growth as a Christian is not only that there would be some evidence of God's grace at work in helping us grow in Christ-like character as well as Christ-like mission, but it would also help us grow in affection, in affection, unashamed. Mary pouring out the, the year of the, the perfume that was worth a year of salary, gone in five minutes, because I am not ashamed to express how much I love him, and it will never compare to how much he loves me. It'll never compare. But I want to be set free from worrying about what everybody else in the world thinks about. I'm putting my light under a bushel when I'm doing that. It's when people are in love with the Savior that we are most a witness for Christ. So, obviously, I'm barely finished point one. <laughs> That's why every Sunday I go home and tell Jan, nobody's coming back next Sunday. Nobody's coming back. Um, so don't worry, I'm not going to try <laughs> that. So I got to, well, I'll tell you something. I'm going to end, but... Um, so, so pray for Alan and Eric and Hugh, because there's a preaching calendar that I made, and there's assignments on there, and so now I'm not going to finish the passage, but I think we need to finish the passage, so we're going to do it next week, uh, but you said keep going, whoever said that, I, I, I'll, I will pay you what I promised you, so I, I will. <laughs>
when, when we were in Nepal. Oh, guys, thank you for praying. I have never experienced, I don't know that I've experienced the presence of God in preaching like that because of the moment. I think it was just a unique moment in history. And uh, so on Tuesday, I preached three sermons uh, back to back. Well, there's a, there was a lunch break, two back to back, lunch break, third sermon. And oh, man, <laughs> I was wiped out. And uh, so I went and sat down with Barnabas. And there was a couple of announcements made. And then, you know, it just got quiet. And Barnabas is saying, do you notice something? And I said, why? He said, nobody's leaving. He said, the people were saying, can't he preach some more? <laughs> I didn't, and I'm not going to now. Um, <laughs> so, so don't worry, um, you guys. But th- this is going to move toward this whole affection thing. It's going to move toward... Again and again, did you see this thing about if you love me, you'll keep my word. If you love me, you'll keep my word. We're going we're gonna to talk about next week that the Holy Spirit, one of the prominent things he does in our hearts is it's he moves us by the love of God. So when we, when we think of commandment keeping, we shouldn't be just thinking of commandment keeping. That's not what the Lord's thinking about. The Lord is thinking about love. I've loved you. I've made you new. My spirit has poured out my love in you. My love precedes your love, but it also enables your love. And so, yes, we should be keeping the word, obeying the commandments, but not so that people will go, oh, you're a Christian, you're a commandment keeper. That's not how we're to be known, sweetheart. We're to be known as lovers of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, you're going to know that you love me because it's going to be love that's causing you to want to keep my word. It's going to be affection for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I will close this the way that I was going to close anyway. Um, Eric, you want to come? So go to the bottom of your notes. Let me go to that page here. So we'll talk about the, the power of the Holy Spirit next week, and we'll talk about the peace that the Holy Spirit will bring next week, okay? So we'll, we're going to talk about all of that. But here's what I, wanted, I want you to notice. Go back. We, we didn't touch on this last week because I, I wanted to do it this week. Go back to, in, still in chapter 14, go back to, oh, I put it in your notes. Um, go back to verses 13 and 14. Do you know this? Look, look. So what, what should be a response? That, how should our hearts respond to this text this morning? Well, I think Jesus tells us, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Luke 11, very similar. Listen to this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So I think there's plenty of ways for us to pray today. So Jonathan and Vanessa, you all are up for prayer. So if you guys would want to come up uh, to be available, um, if, and you could do that now. You could do that now. So you, don't, you, you, you could come pray with someone if you want to pray, pray, pray with someone. You could just pray right there in your seat. But how about some praying, some things like this? Dear God, please help me to experience and know the Holy Spirit as my advocate. That may be some of you. Lord, please help me appreciate the presence of the Holy Spirit as an intercessor who is helping me even know what to pray right now. Help me to experience the Spirit as my comforter. He's the reinforcements that I need, not just the feeling I need, but the, the, 
He helps me fight the battle of faith. Lord, I could use the Holy Spirit's strength right now. Lord, I need him as my teacher right now. I need the work of the Spirit as my teacher. I really need him as my counselor. I need him as my reminder. I need him to empower my obedience. I need him to empower my love for God and neighbor. Oh, please, Lord, fill me afresh with that strength and power. Help me to love God and to love neighbor. There are just so many ways we could be seeking the glory of the Lord through the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand. I'll come and give you the benediction after Erickson's.